You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Huawei's CFO awaits her immediate fate in a Vancouver detention facility, where she faces possible extradition to the U.S. on a sanctions violation beef. Huawei itself receives hostile scrutiny from the Five Eyes, the EU, and Japan. U.S. indictments are expected soon in other IP theft cases involving China. Russia and Ukraine swap cyber attacks in their ongoing hybrid war. And an advanced fee scam promises not only money, but maybe love, too. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, December 10th, 2018. China has summoned the U.S. ambassador to demand an explanation for the arrest in Canada of Huawei CFO Meng, promising severe, if unspecified, consequences should she not be promptly released. U.S. Ambassador Branstad was called in by China's vice foreign minister, who, as the official Xinhua News Service said, lodged solemn representations and strong protests against Ms. Meng's detention. Currently in Canadian custody, Ms. Meng faces a Vancouver court's decision on whether she will be granted bail. That decision could come as early as this afternoon or evening. Canadian prosecutors have argued that Ms. Meng represents a flight risk. Her attorneys deny this, saying she will not flee while she awaits a separate decision on the U.S. request to extradite her. The U.S. has indicted Meng on charges related to fraudulently conspiring to evade sanctions against Iran. According to the Wall Street Journal, the U.S. alleges that a Hong Kong-registered company, Skycom, was effectively an informal subsidiary of Huawei, and that Huawei used Skycom to persuade several banks into facilitating illegal trade with Iran. Huawei became aware in April 2017 it was the subject of a U.S. criminal investigation. A warrant for Ms. Meng's arrest was issued in New York on August 22nd of this year. The charges Meng faces could bring significant prison time should she be tried and convicted. Multiple charges of conspiracy to commit fraud could bring 30 years each. U.S. companies are jittery about possible retaliation. Bloomberg reports that Cisco, for one, moved to restrict non-essential employee travel to China. Other companies are thought likely to become similarly cautious. The lawfare may grow sharper. The U.S. is said to be preparing to unseal a number of additional indictments of Chinese nationals, perhaps as early as this week. The Wall Street Journal reports that federal prosecutors have been making a case against Chinese nationals 
The journal describes them as hackers linked to the Chinese government on charges of industrial espionage. These would be straightforward cases of electronic spying and theft of intellectual property, not the sort of sanctions violations alleged against Huawei. The group involved in the hacking is said to be APT-10, also known as CloudHopper. The companies CloudHopper is said to have targeted are service providers who offer infrastructure management or cloud service to corporations and government agencies. Australia, New Zealand, and the U.S. have all imposed bans on the use of Huawei products and their networks. Much of the concern in these three countries has focused on the potentially problematic role Huawei might play in building out 5G networks. The Australian Signals Directorate has warned that problems that affect 5G networks would not be confined to telecommunications, with the attendant possibility of their exploitation for espionage or disruption. There would also be a risk, ASD's head remarked, to critical infrastructure, including water and power distribution. The UK has been somewhat less vocal on the subject of the Chinese hardware, but the National Cybersecurity Center, in meeting with Huawei leaders last week, extracted agreements from the company to make certain unspecified security changes in their equipment. BT has announced the possibility that it might pull Huawei gear from its existing 4G network. And MI6 is asking, with the force of suggestion and recommendation, whether it wouldn't be best to simply boot Huawei equipment from the UK altogether. Canada is the last of the five eyes to take action against Huawei, although willingness to arrest the company's CFO during a Vancouver stopover suggests that policy and sentiment are hardening there as well. David Vagneau, director of the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, took the occasion of his first public speech last week to warn of the risk of espionage being carried out over 5G networks. This is, of course, an oblique reference to Huawei. The EU is considering similar restrictions of Huawei, and Japan has decided to exclude both Huawei and its smaller competitor ZTE from government work. The Kubernetes privilege escalation vulnerabilities recently revealed continue to pose a very widespread risk to users of the popular container technology. Fortunately, as Dark Reading points out, there are solutions. Users can upgrade Kubernetes instances to the latest ones, and most major cloud providers say they've done so, or they can apply mitigations that have been made generally available. Those mitigations may come at some cost in operational smoothness, so an upgrade would seem to be the better option. Russia's recent escalation of its hybrid war against Ukraine does indeed seem to have had a strong cyber component. According to Defense One, researchers at StealthCare report that Russia's seizure of three Ukrainian vessels in the Kursk Strait at the end of November was preceded by coordinated cyber operations directed against Ukrainian government assets. The threat groups involved include the usual suspects of Karbanak and the less familiar but still notorious FSB-associated Gamaradon. The campaign is thought to have aimed at developing intelligence for the anticipated naval operation. StealthCare also reads the attack on FSBI Polyclinic No. 2, a hospital connected to Russia's presidential administration, as probably Ukrainian retaliation for the naval action in the Sea of Azov, Expect more thrust and riposte in the weeks to come. Predictably, Huawei's troubles and Miss Meng's detention have prompted advance fee scams. These are, of course, the work of ordinary criminals and are not connected with either Huawei or its CFO. A message circulating in WeChat says that there's this crooked Canadian jail guard, okay, 
and so he'd let Miss Mung escape if he were bribed a couple thousand dollars, U.S. greenbacks, and not Canadian loonies. The message, which purports to be from Miss Mung herself, says she doesn't have the cash on hand,、uh, but she'll repay you with two hundred thousand shares of Huawei stock if you'll help her out of her jam. Also, as a sweetener, she says, "If you are single, we can also discuss the important thing in life." Which our lonely hearts desk reads as a veiled offer of marriage. So, hop to it, world. Love and money can be yours, or not. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use, with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io/cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io/cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Six Sense. Six Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Six Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine, so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit sixthsense.com. And joining me once again is Emily Wilson. She's the fraud intelligence manager at Terbium Labs. Emily, it's great to have you back.、Um, you and I have talked before about the importance of diversity in our industry, but I think we've also shared some frustration that. Sometimes we can do diversity for diversity's sake, and you recently attended a conference, and you thought they、uh, they did a good job with this.、Uh, share with us where were you? Well, this is my second one, but I was、uh, I was in New York for the Lesbians Who Tech Leadership Summit.、Mm. Uh, I attended their、uh, San Francisco summit in the spring, which was excellent enough that I immediately signed up for the next one that was stateside. And I do think they get it right,、uh, and here's why. You know, we have talked before. About the fact that diversity at conferences can be performative. It's an opportunity to say, "Hey, look at us! You know, we got a female keynote speaker, and we have a panel of people talking about, you know, what it's like to be a woman in tech." And that can get very frustrating because right. we're、uh, good,、know. right? We're good. We're good. <laughs> 
we did it. Check the box. Aren't you happy? Yeah. You stop sending us angry emails. Uh, no, the, the answer is no, I won't stop. So what I think is different here, you know, I'm a woman in tech and I'm a queer person in tech and it can be very frustrating to go to these conferences and feel like someone is trying to trying to cater to me uh, in a way that's most comfortable for them, which is to say, here, I'm going to give you a platform to talk about diversity and then we're done. Hmm. What's different about Lesbians Who Tech is that this is a this is a conference. This is an organization where, yes, it's a diverse group. Yes, we are minorities in our field, but we're also just doing our jobs and we're very good at our jobs and we're there to talk about doing our jobs. And that's what's nice. It is Lesbians Who Tech, but the emphasis you know, on the content of these conferences is the tech. We're not all sitting around talking about diversity all the time. Those conversations come up because they come up naturally. That's that's part of our you know navigation of, of the professional world. But we're talking about cybersecurity. We're talking about blockchain. We're talking about AI and machine learning. We're talking about data science and analytics. We're talking about how we can get young people into the field. We're talking about the the impact of of media on tech. You know, we're we're here talking about our jobs, and that's very refreshing because it seems like in mainstream conferences we never actually get around to being able to talk about what we're good at. Hmm. And what about uh, the fact that you are um, among like people? So uh, you you you. Uh, you're not the only girl in a room full of boys. Uh, that's true. I am. I am not the only woman in a room full of men. I am. Uh, I am around like-minded people. I am around people who already, at first glance, share so many of my experiences in the industry, hmm. and that's everything from uh, frustration about trying to convince people to use two-factor to you know, the difficulties of getting harassed at a conference to trying to figure out where you want to go next in your career to, you know, trying to uh, to reconcile the world that we're in now and the, the lack of security. And that's very refreshing because honestly, it makes it easier to just get to the root of the problems at work. It makes it easier to problem solve or say, I'm having this problem with a team or this problem, you know, rolling out a product, you know, how can you help? You know, everyone is there. Everyone is ready to network. Everyone is ready to help. And also, you know, we get to bring in incredible speakers. You know, Hillary Clinton was at this one in in New York. Uh, Megan Smith again, of course, Kara Swisher. You get to see very powerful people in this field, people like you who are ready to share their lessons and ready to help you out. And that's a that's something we've lost, I think, at a lot of tech conferences. What what would your advice be to the other tech conferences based on what you've learned from this conference doing it right? What are some of the lessons you wish the other conferences could take away? I mean, the first and most obvious one, which I've said before and I'm going to say again because you asked, is that uh, I think other conferences can look at this and immediately just shred all of their excuses about not being able to find a more diverse speaker group. We're talking about hundreds of speakers, all of whom are, you know, women or queer people, 50% of whom are people of color. Hmm. There you go. If you're looking for speakers, pull from that list. You know, these are people who are good at their jobs. We're here. We're in the industry. All you have to do is ask. I think that works well. I also think, you know, something that this conference does well is it gives people from all different, uh, all different backgrounds and all different levels of experience a platform to come and talk. So maybe this is your first year as an engineer. Maybe you've been doing this for three or four decades. You know, we're hearing both voices. We're hearing about people who 
came to tech naturally or those who ended up there later. We're talking about people who are tech adjacent or people who are, you know, realizing that their field has become a tech field. You know, everything is tech now. I, I think it also creates a situation where people can have honest conversations, which is is hard to do when we are at so many of these conferences. We're focused on vendor materials or or pitches disguised as keynotes, right? Mm. This is this is actually just a community coming together to learn uh, and to share information and to mentor and to help and to connect. And we need to do more of that. Do you find that the opportunity for learning is uh, is is better? I, just from I imagine not having to have your guard up. You don't have your guard up. That's true. It's a little bit different because you you do know that you're in a in a safe space, hmm. right? And that certainly helps, but. I think also it's the it's the concentration of subsets of these communities where again you you already know that you have so much in common with these people. You know, most of you have faced a lot of the same challenges in your career. Mm. You know, most of you continue to be the minority in your office or even in your city, right? And so I think that that certainly helps. But there are other things like that that we can pull from in the mainstream industry, right? There are other ways that we can group people together, get smart people in a room thinking about problems together. Lesbians Who Tech manages to bring together very smart people from all over the world, put them in a room, and get them excited about their industry. They bring in powerful speakers from all walks of life. They ask the hard questions because we're already here asking hard questions day to day. We're already trying to speak up. We're already trying to figure out how to navigate this world. And I think that getting those voices involved in more mainstream communities, you can bring so much more talent, so many more experiences. If you just tap into these networks of people we're here, right? We've been doing this. You know, Me- Megan Smith gave a keynote talking about the the history of, of women in tech. And she reminded us, we've been here the whole time. Hmm. It might not be in the history because look at who's writing the history, but we've been here the whole time. When you bring those voices in, when you get that many people in the room, it, solving problems is, is second nature, right? Sharing information, connecting people, building networks, Finding new jobs is second nature because everyone is there and ready to help. Imagine if you brought that group of people to your conferences. Imagine if you made those people speakers. Imagine if you hired those people to work at your organization. These are creative people. These are hard workers. You know, we, we've had to work hard to get here anyway. We've had to overcome a lot to get here anyway. That makes us an incredible resource for these industries to tap into. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.